Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Everyone can hear me okay? My voice hasn't broken yet, which is a very good thing. There's banter already at the back, sledging. You can see things haven't changed from the end of last season. Fantastic. Welcome back. Before we go any further, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jared Walsh, and it's very important that we acknowledge the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands that we gather on this evening here at the Joiners. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present, and ongoing connection to their land and their cultural beliefs. It's a very important night tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because obviously you our loyal and trusted members are here to celebrate Adelaide United heading into a new season in the uh, Isuzu A-League men and A-League women. Hopefully I've got that right. It's a new season and we're very excited. Make some noise for Adelaide United. Come on. Can I just try something? Uh, because it's the first time we've done it this season and you know what happens just to see if everybody's up and about. We're going to make the most of it tonight. So you know what to say when I say Adelaide. It's very low key. So we'll do it two more times, right? Adelaide. It's not bad. Carl's only got a half smile. So we'll see if we can do it one more time. Adelaide. It's not bad, hey? We don't need the speakers anymore. Uh, if you need to use the bathroom, don't do it out here in the courtyard. You can go over there. They are that way. Please make sure you have checked in as well, ladies and gentlemen. We want to continue to keep South Australia COVID safe so we can get as many people to the football as possible. Um, the great thing about this members forum, it is about you. Thank you, everybody who submitted questions over the past couple of weeks. And at the end tonight, you will have the chance to ask some questions too because the purpose of doing these over the past few years, whether it's in person or doing it virtually, we want to get some insight into the people and the community that make up the club, which is everybody here. So we're grateful that you are here tonight and that you are still involved with the club as we continue to grow. Um, we would like to thank our partners as well, of course, Flinders University, Kite Property, who were known as Starfish, and before that, Ironfish, they are on the back of our shirt. So to Deke and the team, congratulations. They had a fantastic launch, which we've seen on our social media. You can, McDonald's, SA Power Networks, Australian Outdoor Living, and Australia uh, Adelaide Venue Management. And also, and a big thank you to our AV supplier tonight, NW Group, and the joiners for hosting us. Because this is a great venue where we see lots of you after the game with happy faces after a win and happy faces after a loss because you're enjoying the beverages after leaving Cooper Stadium and the happy faces when there are no arrests after members of the Red Army come here after a match, which is fantastic. You know who I'm talking about as well. I've seen you in the back of a cop car, mate. <laughs> I'm only being serious. So tonight's going to be fantastic. It's a great insight into the club. We reflect on the past 12 months and probably uh, I could say the past 12 days because it's been a huge couple of weeks for the Adelaide United Football Club on and off the field. We do have a door prize tonight, and that is our brand new 21-22 home shirt. It's a signed one, so make sure you stay until the end. We are going to draw out a name, which we'll basically got everyone's name who's here tonight, and then we'll be able to announce the winner. Um, we are also very lucky to have our panel here tonight. So can you please put your hands together for CEO Nathan Cosmina. Head coach of the A-League men's, Carl Viet. And from the AVMC, General Manager Phil King's here. 
Now, unfortunately, uh, the head coach of our A-League women, Adrian Stenter, couldn't be here tonight because he has commitments in regards to that program. But we are going to be going through a couple of discussion points tonight before we get to your questions, and that is club culture, that is football progression of the A-League men's and A-League women's leagues, membership ticketing, and Cooper Stadium upgrades. So just have a think about some of the questions you want to ask as well. And I can't stress enough, if somebody reflects an answer to a question you were thinking of asking, we just want to get through as many as possible tonight so your voices can be heard. Um, first of all, before I go to you, Nathan, I want to speak on behalf of all of the supporters in the Adelaide United community because obviously we're going to talk about what's happened over the past seven days. And for someone like myself who's been lucky enough to be involved with Adelaide United for a decade, I had hair when I started working with Adelaide United. It's not funny, guys. It's a real thing. However... My proudest moment to be associated with the club was last week when Josh was brave enough to tell the world who he was. And I think it's more about what happened through Josh. It's actually the environment that the club provided, which was an environment of safety, protection and comfort to have a young kid feel comfortable enough to tell the world who he really is. And that is a risk. But he was comfortable enough to do that because the people who are here today whether it is Carl and Ross and the coaching staff, whether it's Nathan, whether it's all the Adelaide United representatives, they have provided a culture for someone to feel safe and comfortable. And for me, that makes me proud to be part of the community. These guys aren't going to stand up here and say how good they are, but I think it's important we acknowledge the club and how brilliant they have been for a moment which saved lives last week. So I'm going to start with you, Nathan. The culture of the club. Culture is sometimes referred to things that happen in relation to cheese um, because normally what happens is we say we've got a good culture and it's just a throwaway, but it's never actually shown and displayed. There's this sporting organisations that say we've got a great culture, but it's even better when other people tell you that you do. How proud are you of what's happened over the past week? Yeah, it's only <coughs> now that we reflect on it seven days or eight days later that you kind of think about it in that sense. I mean, we've been speaking about culture 12 months ago, a little under, I think we had our last in-person forum at um, the Entertainment Centre and we unveiled sort of our, our mission, vision and values, which we'd worked on through COVID and we spoke about how important culture was, bringing Carl back, uh, Ross back, Eugene back, um, revisiting the values under which the, the club was founded was kind of a big priority for us. We spoke a lot about it. Every player that signed for us, I think, last season and this season speaks about it <clears throat> with their first media engagement. But it is a little bit of that, Jared, in that it is a little bit of a... Uh, <clears throat> there won't be a club, you know, in the country that doesn't speak about how good their culture is and how proud they are of their people. And um, there's probably an element of that to us, but I think last week was a tangible outcome to how good our culture is and, and that's not necessarily um, uh, you know, something that the, the office staff uh, you know, own. I think primarily it's down to the coaching staff. Um, it's that culture out of play for day to day um, <clears throat> where Carl and Ross ultimately want to get the best out of everyone and we want to come and Carl says it quite often and I don't want to speak on his behalf but um, how he wants his players to be happy and that's kind of a bit of a mandate for us as a club. Um, we do that in the office, but I think at Playford, it's a little bit of a point of difference in a football environment. Um, it's very high pressure. There's pressure on coaches to win. 
Um, there's pleasure, pressure on players to perform. There's pressure on players to get new contracts, to earn every dollar they can. To, to, to step back a little bit from that and say, you know, what's most important to us is that you're happy. I think it's a little bit different to the way other clubs do things. And we never thought that it would result in, in the outcome of last week um, with Josh's announcement. But now reflecting on it, you kind of look back and go, wow, it's, we hadn't really thought or maybe appreciated how good it was for him to, to for the per first people outside of his family to tell was Carlin Ross. I think that's that's pretty exceptional and probably speaks primarily to how good Ross and Carl are as, as people, but also about the culture that, that we've created. So we'll continue to, to, to focus on that as a priority for us. I mean, when Bruce used to talk about it a lot and when we'd have discussion about players, we'd, we'd almost be 50% recruit based on character. You know, it was really important for us to get people in that were good human beings that we thought could make our collective group better rather than a good player that's good for themselves. So I think that that is something we'll, we'll you know, obviously continue to foster because I think it's a bit of a competitive advantage for us. I mean, Carl and I have spoken about it. That might be the difference between us finishing fifth and third, you know, or seventh or fifth in a season is that culture that we have within the club. So it's something we're all proud of. Last week was, was life-changing. I said um, when we addressed the players that, um, it was the most memorable day in my professional career. And that, that's not being sort of selfish and reflecting on me, but that was more about seeing what it meant to Josh. Um, it was an astounding process and for everyone at the club that was involved, it's something I don't think we'll ever experience again to work with an individual through such a momentous occasion. And we thought it was going to be big, you know, um, it was, as I said to Josh today when he came in the office, it was about 8 p.m. that it got real big. So it was during the day we, the US market got around it, <clears throat> but then as soon as Europe woke up, it was just, you name them, it started coming. And um, then obviously the next morning it continued and Marius and Jordan, um, well, I think need to be acknowledged from our marketing and media team, you know, probably dedicated 48 hours straight of their lives without sleep to to helping um, Josh get through it. But there was 20 odd media um, calls the next morning for Josh and he essentially spent the whole day doing media. And um, yeah, I think it was really well managed on behalf of the club, but, but all the credit should go to Josh because it's incredibly courageous what he did. It's astounding that he's the first active or only active player in the world that's come out. I didn't actually realize that at the time, but um, the enormity of it is pretty significant, and I think it's something that the you know will go down in, in history as a memorable day for the club um, because it's something that I don't think we'll ever see in our lifetime. It's the biggest moment in Australian football history uh, from a from a pure media standpoint when you start to look at it in that context, but also from you know in a broader Australian sporting landscape. I don't think any story's ever got that kind of reach before. So pretty amazing. Can I ask uh, about the pride you have in your coaching staff? Because the two things that equally impressed me on that day, I listened to an interview that Ross did on 5AA. And for me, uh, when Ross came back to the club, the memories that I have of Ross when he was at Brisbane were quite aggressive. And <laughs> to say the least. However, the Ross that I heard, I, I had to pull the car over and stop and go, what an impressive human being to provide such a role as his title is obviously Carl's assistant, but he's a father figure to those players. 
and you can tell that those players connect with Ross. And the respect I had for him grew immensely because of that moment. But equally for Carl, I was lucky enough to see the video of Carl telling the players and also addressing the media afterwards. It's For me, it's how, how you handle these moments that really define your legacy. And to see Ross and Carl speak with passion and they were speaking as fathers wearing Adelaide United polo shirts and I loved it. How proud are you of that? Yeah, it's pretty amazing and I think it speaks to, you know, the people that we've got involved. First and foremost, Carl and Ross are there to coach but ultimately they're there to mentor and, and look after the lives of young men and um, Josh sees, as I thought, you know, again, speaking his behalf, but he's both of them as somewhat father figures. He's here by himself from Melbourne, 21 years old. He came here when he was 20, um, really didn't know anyone. So the team has been his family in that instance. And as Ross said on Tuesday, when, when we were at an event and it was spoken about, he said he still gets emotional, you know, a week later thinking about it. So again, I mean, I maybe get Carl to speak on it from the, the coach's perspective, but I think again, it just speaks to the character of the people that we've, that we've got here. And I think we're very fortunate um, to have, you know, people that will, will put with the well-being of, of their players first and foremost. Ultimately, we need to get results, but I think you'll see from Josh now that he will be a bigger and better player. Even today, he said, I'm just, the word he keeps using is that he's free. He goes, at training, I just feel free. Like, it's an amazing feeling. So I think we'll, we'll see even more from him as a result. Just got a couple of questions for you on that, Carl. Obviously, talking about pride of the coaching staff and the staff all around the club with Marius and Jordan, what they did, the digital team to make sure that the announcement was done obviously really sensitively the way that Josh wanted it. Um, so for you, um, I guess for you to provide that comfortable environment, you're the head coach of the side. Um, how do you reflect on something like this? Um, yeah, it was a, um, you said I was, I had to hold on to it for about five weeks. Um, Josh um, spoke to me and Ross one morning and we were both um, very happy because we could see that um, there was something not quite right with Josh. He was had a lot of pressure on himself and he wasn't happy and and we just, you know, sat him down and we were having chats with him and then he come um, a couple of days later and, and told us. And the relief and the, and the change in Josh just after telling me and Ross and the way that we responded to that. Um, we've just seen him grow since then. And then since last week, this last week um, at training, Josh is, um, like I always say, I want players to be happy. I want them to come to training, looking forward to come to training and, and enjoy training. And now you see that with Josh all the time. Because um, previously, you know, you, he was a bit up and down when he came to training, depending on you know what mood he was in. So, um, and that's something that we have to be mindful of when we um, are coaching players, and we've got a lot of young players out there um, that we have to look after their their well being because um, it is a stressful job playing football, um, and we have to make sure we um, are mindful of how we we treat these players and and to get the best out of them. And you know, I've. It was a very, um, I was happy, very happy um, that day. You know, when I woke up that day and I knew it was going to come, I was so happy and I couldn't wait for it to come. It was like Christmas morning. It's a, a really special moment as well to see the players' reaction, which, again, um, 
I spoke to Jacob Tratt about it. The One of the moments straight after the announcement in the change rooms was amazing because Josh said in the way that he presented to his teammates and to the media and the public, I just want to be treated like an, another person. I'm here to play football. I wanted to be treated like a footballer. And there's a moment, as soon as everybody gives him a high five and a hug in the change rooms, he goes and sits at his locker. And on the right-hand side, it was Jacob Tratt. On the left-hand side, it was Nick Ansell. And they just started talking about football again. So there was this one moment where it was so powerful. And then the players just normally, because of the environment that they're in, have gone, cool, let's just talk football again, mate. Well done, you've had your moment. And that's absolutely awesome. And let's give you what you want. So the players to be mature enough to understand the reality of the world that we live in, um, again, speaks volumes of the community of the playing group. Yeah, most definitely. I think um, the um, our playing group has to take a a lot from this as well because they've made it our environment out there and it is at, um, you know I've been in a lot of change rooms um, and played at a few different clubs where the vibe in the change room wasn't you know great but it doesn't matter what morning you could come out to our training room um, in the change room there's always laughter there's always players carrying on they're always playing jokes they're always that's what you see now is all, all of them have a smile on their face and when you're in that type of environment, you can only um, achieve your best. We'll come back to you in a second because I've got some real hard-hitting questions, all right? So I've just um, shown everybody that you've got a heart so you don't get angry at me when I ask the real serious ones. Um, I wanted to officially welcome our chairman, Pierre Vanderpol's here tonight and chairman of the advisory board, Ian Smith, is here. And also, um, pretty much if Bruce Jutte was still here, he would still be talking from this time last year. So we would still be at the other venue because he takes so long to answer a question. Bruce is doing other big CEO political things. We don't know what he does, let's be honest. Um, but he has heaps of meetings and coffees. But we are very lucky because we have a brand new head of football. Uh, Vito Basile is here and he'll be joining us a little bit later on. So can you please put your hands together and welcome Vito to the club. So, Nathan, back to you. The fixtures have been announced. We are waiting on the uh, finalisation of the A-League women fixtures, but for the Isuzu A-League men, um, it, it looks pretty good. How do you receive it as a club? Yeah, well, we're normally ultra-critical. Um, so, normally when a fixture comes out, we'll spend a few weeks complaining about it. It gets changed and they change a few things. It makes other games worse. This is, and I told this to APL, the, probably the best fixture we've had in my time at the club. Eight Saturday nights at 7.15, so no, no 6.30 kickoffs on a Friday night and then three, three Friday nights, 7.15 and a couple of midweekers over, over summer. Um, and I think that has shown the shift in the league. So obviously before, very broadcast-directed fixture you know, which, which hurt us um, being in a different time zone. Now with Paramount and 10, they're going to simulcast these Saturday night games, which means two, four clubs get to play in that prime time Saturday nights every week, which is really good. They've also been really flexible in terms of timing. So we tweaked a few timings and they said this might be a bit better. They're like, that's fine. Because they know that full stadiums ultimately are good for the TV product. So I think that's a, a shift that, that we acknowledged, like you know, sent an email saying thank you, but I think hopefully the fans start to see that it's more fan-focused now. They really want full stadiums. So I think the draws... Yeah, so the games will be simulcast. So we don't have the split of what's on 10 free-to-air and what's on Paramount. So I'd encourage everyone to sign up to Paramount if you haven't already. <coughs> um, I'm assuming everyone here is a current member. 
Therefore, you should be getting a $75 um, 12-month subscription. But we don't know the split, but they'll obviously be on the same time. And um, if you've got the Paramount app, you'll be able to go back between the two of them. So we'll get that in the coming weeks, I'd suggest. We've got a few of our Saturdays that are really big games, so I'm assuming that they'll all be, they will be the, the prime time match. But it's a really good draw. We think the double headers are going to be really good. So we've got one in at the moment. We've got the women's draft draw today. That'll be a few more days to go through. We've got a double header on the 23rd which we're sort of setting up as a bit of a Christmas event, which will be good. Um, and the other one that's a little bit different, um, but I think it can work, is the New Year's Day game. So it's um, we've traditionally done Boxing Day. Um, they didn't want to do that this year. I think the fixture fell right. They put us before Christmas, so we thought it could work. Um, really good for the kids. Um, and then the New Year's Day game, we actually didn't mind. We think it, it, we, we in... 2006, I think we've been got 056, first year of the A-League, we actually played New Year's Day um, for those that were there. So it's a bit of a back to the future moment once again where we'll, we'll try something from the old days, but I think that could be good too. So I wanted to ask about the TV deal because uh, in, in my opinion, I'm not speaking on behalf of the club here, but I think in the last year, uh, the last 12 months on the previous provider, I, I think sometimes the A-League men's and women's was a bit of an afterthought. Uh, but what I'm loving now seeing on 10 and Paramount is that there's A-League stories everywhere, which is so exciting. And it's both for A-League men and A-League women. And they're, they're coming from a genuine place from a broadcaster that wants to be involved. We have fresh faces in the commentary teams alongside, obviously, Simon Hill, that has been the voice of football, is always going to be synonymous of calling our grand final win. So he's always going to have a special place in my heart. Um, but still for us as a club, um, free-to-air getting eyes on the sport and eyes on our club, I'm sure this is a perfect time to actually to reach a different audience over summer. Yeah, this is it's game-changing. I mean, it's been spoken a lot about the broadcast deal and, and Fox, particularly through COVID, a new deal was struck. It was financially um, worse for, for clubs in the league and I think the product itself, you know, they sort of commentating remotely, all that kind of stuff, less cameras at games, it just wasn't what it used to be. Ten and Paramount... Uh, really throwing the kitchen sink at making this their product. You notice that. I mean, you just seen the trams that are going past, and um, we were talking about it on Tuesday post the Melbourne Cup. I think got a bit of traction on social media. The fact that there was an A League ad immediately after the Melbourne Cup, things like that. So we're with a partner that is heavily invested in making the product better, but they're also with us in terms of the clubs, in terms of making our clubs better. So they're not just all about purely eyeballs on TV. Obviously, that's the metric that, that will define their success. But they realise to get that, you need to get people buying into club football um, and going down in our instance to Cooper Stadium. So um, the other aspect of it was with, with, with Fox, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they had a camera, maybe half a journo here um, in the last few years that we would work with occasionally, but half the time we're probably shooting stuff for them. Now we've got a whole network on Hutt Street that we're working with to develop content and promote the games and get more people there. They're free to wear. When it was on 10 last time, it was purely a feed. So they just took the Fox feed and put it on 10. Now it's an actual Channel 10 product and Paramount product. So I think, um, obviously, we've seen a few FA Cup games. That's a different production schedule, so that's going to look different to what the A-League will look like. That's part of the FA deal. But from round one onwards, um, you know, I think everyone will see a different product and I think it'll be a lot better. 
Just finally, before we go to Carl, you were talking about the A-League women with the potential of double headers. We've got the one, um, and it'd be great to do that because we can see it's a really important time for women's sport and women's football with the World Cup not too far away, but also the growth of our A-League women's side. We were so close to finals last year. We had a huge crowd at Cooper Stadium. So obviously that relationship with women's football continues to grow strong. Yeah, and that was obviously... The start of that was last year's game, or this year's game on the 21st of March, um, where we set the A-League regular season record. And sort of now it's all about, okay, that was a one-off event. How do we leverage that to make that more regular and get all those people coming back? And we've always said Martin's a great little boutique venue. Um, I love going down to Martin on on a Saturday night for a game, but the home of Adelaide United is Cooper Stadium, and we need to get... um, the women's team back there. So we'll do at least two doubleheaders this year. Um, we're looking at the back end now around what that looks like. Um, and then we probably won't do the standalone game this year. We'll hold off until the stadium's fully finished. But we really want to get people back, being the people that came to, to the to the 21 March game, but obviously the broader community because we're all working towards 2023. So um, that's something you'll see with the Channel 10 APL um, promotion of the league, they're going really hard at promoting the, the, the what is now A-League women. Um, so I think if we can get that 23 March, that's why we picked that date. We didn't want to go too early. We thought the Christmas sort of launch around the doubleheaders would be really good and get as many people to Coopers as possible. Thank you. Uh, Carl, let's talk a bit of football. Obviously on the weekend, um, wasn't the result that we wanted. And I guess what friendlies are all about is to um, get rid of a few teething issues, new faces at the club, players returning from injury. What do you take away from that result against Brisbane? Um, yeah, as you said, it wasn't a result that we wanted. Um, I think the first uh, 15, 20 minutes, we gave away a couple of really soft goals. And after that, we were we were quite good in, in the game. O- overall, we were the more dominant side in the game. Um, but we just, as you said, um, the benefit of that was there was um, we come away with two things that we needed to work on. And we've started working on that already um, leading into round one. Um, so, and you needed those games against the same quality opposition to, to really see where you, what level you're at. Let's talk about the squad because we, we said farewell to a, a fair few senior players, Maroney, Elsie, Tommy, um, just to, to name a few with some of the younger boys as well. And one of them I'm, I am going to get to, but we bring in uh, Nick Ansel, Isaias, George Blackwood comes back, Jacob Trapp, um, Bernardo, Popovich, uh, Nestri, Erin Kunda and Ethan Aligic, where there's some familiar names there. Um, but there's a big mix. So can you talk about some of these players and what they're going to bring to the squad? Yeah, look, um, I, I'm sure I don't have to say anything about Issa. Um, you know, the opportunity when that came up, you know, Bruce has been talking to Issa f- um, since I've came back to the club um, and that came up late and it was an opportunity that I, I believe that we couldn't um, um, let go. Um, so and Issa will be a huge um, influence on our side this year when he's playing, because that's his greatest strength, his managing of the game um, during the game. Um, but also um, the way he is around the change room, especially with the younger group that we've got, that we have some good um, leadership players there. And the three Spanish boys that we have at the club are, are tremendous. The amount of work that they put in with our young players is um, tremendous. So Issa is, was a, uh, is going to be a huge plus for us this year. And... You know, bringing George back as well, you know, it's a player that I knew um, and I know what I'm going to get from George. And again, he fits the culture that we 
uh, looking to to have at the club. And you know, he's still a young player, George. He's only 23, um, so he's still a very young player. Um, and we believe we can, uh, you know, he can fit into our our side as well. So and and then we needed to strengthen our side defensively. We we conceded far too many goals last year, soft goals. And w so we've brought two um, very physical um, central defenders. You know, they like to kick um, attackers. They're a little bit old school. Um, so, What's their best uh, quality? They kick attackers. Good. <laughs> so, um, but they're both, they both can play as well. You know, they're both good players, but they bring that, um, that toughness that we didn't have last year. Let me ask about Isaias because I need to be the representative of the people who are going to ask these questions, okay? So we have a mentality of that we are bringing young players into the club and we want to promote young South Australians and develop them. And then we bring in a bloke who's in the back end of his career um, for three years, which for me, um, I can understand people probably asking the question. However, to, to shed a bit of light, I spoke to Issa on the award-winning pitch podcast a couple of weeks ago. It hasn't won any awards yet, guys. It's got three listeners. So if you can please listen to that, that'd be great. Issa had interest from other A-League clubs. So for me, it's as simple as this. I, I can't bear to see Issa is wearing another A-League men's shirt. That for me is as simple as that. Because this has happened before in our history. So does that play a big role in signing him? But also alongside what he can do for the likes of Louis Dorigo, for, for young players to actually bring the experience. And he was one of our best players on the weekend, so he can still bloody play. Of course, he can still play. Um, as I, I've always said, I think he's the best player that has ever played for the club. Um, yeah, uh, Issa, I, I still, Craig has still got a lot of work to do to catch up with Issa, I think. Um, and look, this has been, you know, the first two FA Cup games, he was quite rusty and he'd be the first one to admit that he wasn't at the level that we want from him. But on the weekend, we saw um, that he's almost back to the level that he was at um, before he went away. Um, so we've still got another, uh, we've got a game tomorrow night, then a, another game next week, an internal game. So um, going into round one, I'm sure this will be back to um, what he was at before he left the club. And saying, um, you know, how old he is, um, this is in our top three um, in our physical testing at the club. So, um, you know, he's he's uh, got plenty of years left in him. One of the things I love about players that, that leave the club and they, they come back. So speaking of Issa and George Blackwood, the same's happened with players like Riley and, of course, Goody. It's sometimes the mentality of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And players like George might come back with a really good chip on his shoulder to go, I'm here to prove a point to the world. And I love that. Issa is coming back to go, I know what it's like to live in South Australia because he's come from Qatar in a COVID environment where life was pretty tough. So to understand how fortunate they are to play in Adelaide for Adelaide United, do you think, I think it's going to bring the best out in them. Yeah, most definitely. And they, as you said, they love, um, they love the city, they love the people, they love our supporters. Um, and I know um, even the, the two new players that we've just brought to the club, in um, Nick and Traddy, they, they're both looking to buy houses here now because in just in the short period that they've been here, they've fallen in love with Adelaide as well. So um, hopefully they can, that can reflect in their performances on the pitch. This time last year... Uh, I said uh, one particular name and I got hissed and that was James Troisi. And oh, so <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't set that up. 
So I don't need to ask because we're all friends and I'm sitting at, I'm socially distancing from you. So um, I'm, I'm not scared, kind of. Um, Al Hassan Toure, what happened there? Because Al Hassan was such a shining light in the FFA Cup. Mo comes along too and we're like, this is awesome. The Toure boys are going to be with us for a very long time. And then see you later, Al Hassan. Can you talk us through that without breaking any confidentiality? Um, yeah, look, now I'll be very honest, like I was with Alassane. Um, in, I, I think it's, you know, last season we weren't happy with his performances um, and he struggled and he put his hand up and he will admit that he struggled last year. And at the end of last season and leading into pre-season, I sat him down and asked him, you know, what we needed to do um, to get more out of him and to get him back to the level that he was at when he first first on the scene um, and in their discussions he um, wanted to play more as a winger he didn't believe that he was uh, at number nine and that's where I thought he was best suited and and I said to him well if you want to play on the wing you've got to fight with um, Ben Haller and Craig Goodwin um, and we've got a couple of other younger players that are coming through that I don't want to limit their opportunities. So I, I said to him, I don't think you want to get much game time here. And I said, that's not going to be any good for you. Um, for you, you need to keep playing if you want to get to the level that you want to get to. And so it might be best for you to look somewhere else to find that game time that you're going to need because I, I won't be able to give you that game time playing on the wing. I want to ask you about some young kids. Um, Bernardo is unreal and he's going to be very good. And he's already really good. I'm sure that excites you. But also, we have Nestori and we have Ethan. And the, the thing I love about that is that obviously we have two past greats of the club, which will make you feel old once again because of your playing career with them. But obviously, um, Bernardo is a really good story because Cassio was so disconnected for the, from the club for such a long time. And then last year, we celebrate another player returning to be part of Adelaide United. And he's decent. And Ethan's decent. Tell us about these kids that are going to be the future of the club. Yeah, look, Bernardo, I, <clears throat> I've known Bernardo for quite some time and he, I suppose he left and went to Melbourne City and, you know, when he was there, I, I spoke to Cassio a fair bit about, when, and especially when I got the job about getting him back here and and they jumped at that opportunity. Um, and I think Bernardo is, um, he is a, a very different player. I know we, we say he's an Australian player, but he doesn't play football like an Australian. He is very different. Um, he's a very exciting player to watch, um, but he's only 17. Um, so he's still got a long way to go. Um, and, it's in, and it's, you know, important for him that he needs game time this year. He needs to be out playing games and he's done exceptionally well in the first uh, two FA Cup games. and. It's going to take, um, you know, more games for him to learn because um, he still needs to learn. But he's a very exciting player and he's a player that you'll pay money to come and watch. What about the other two? Young Nestor. Well, he's only 15. Um, so, again, Nestor as a winger um, is most probably... Um, we haven't actually tested him yet. We'll be doing that testing maybe on that next week. I reckon he might be faster than Mohammed. So he's a very quick player. Um, Did you have to when you signed him in his 15? Because when you said that in my head, I'm like, yeah. So um, I'm 22 years older than him. And it makes me feel really old. Is everyone else trying to count that out of their head going, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing it, aren't you? 
Yeah, again, you know, Nesta, I, I will most really, I think he will see game time this year in the A-League. Um, again, he's a very exciting player and has that speed and but technically is very good as well. And I think um, if you've come out and watched any of our MPL games this year in the in the local league, you would have seen these young boys running around and, and seen that there's a huge talent there for them. And as a coach, I think it's important um, that we show that there's a path there f for young players to, that they can play in the A-League side um, so they don't lose that hope and they keep pushing because if you look around a lot of other A-League clubs, they don't provide that opportunity for their young players and then they get to... Um, they lose their way a little bit and, and you see a young kid that you think, oh, this young kid at 17 year, years of age is going to be an ex exceptional player and then three years later you don't see him because they haven't had opportunities and that's something that as a coach I want to be able to provide those opportunities for the young players. And that's one of the things I heard Johnny who's sitting over there does a podcast and works with Hills Radio and he was talking to Louis DeRigo and one of the things that Louis said was like, how proud he was to be a young kid that gets an opportunity. And it's not a token opportunity. It's one that's earned, but the opportunity is there at Adelaide United. I wanted to ask about the goals for the season. Uh, last year was such a unique year with COVID. Um, we were lucky enough to have games at home, but obviously it didn't end the way that we wanted. How do you measure success this season? Yeah, look, I think um, when we reflect back on last season, I've, I would say it was a, a successful campaign overall. Um, and I would expect us to, um, to have a very similar season to the, what we had last year, and, and hopefully we can get to those finals again and, and get to the to the the big one at the end. Um, but that's going to depend on how we go over the course of the season. But that's our goal as as a playing group. That's why we've um, brought back some of the players that we have because that's what we want to do is get to that to the grand final and win. Um, but it's going to be a it's going to be a very exciting year this year. I think when you look at um, a lot of the players that the other A-League clubs have brought in and the money that they've spent to bring players back to the country and, and big names as well, it's going to be a very exciting year and it's going to be a, a difficult year and we're going to have to play you know, at our best for you know most of the games if we want to get there. And I know you're a humble man, but Carl last season came over here before the game just to spend time with the supporters, not because he was told to, but because he wanted to. So he loves immersing himself in the Adelaide United community. Please give me a huge round of applause. Hey, Phil. So any time that I want to walk around Cooper Stadium, I have to dress up like a member of the village people and put a hard hat on and some high vis. What's going on with the stadium? Can you please give us an update? Because it's getting there. But um, it's also exciting at the same time. It's a kind of demolition site. Yeah, it's um, so it's broken down into three stages: the upgrades to the stadium, and we're coming to the back end of stage one at the moment. Um, we'll have that, I think, handed over probably some stage next week. We should take that back from the builders. Um, so, mate, what 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 you'll see and what you'll notice. So, first of all, I think the most important thing that's been done over there this season is the upgrade from two change rooms that we had to four. And why I think that's so important is <clears throat> to the point before the boys were talking about with Josh, well, I think now what should be celebrated is that they've created parity for women as well. I think the fact that we can have A-League W games side by side with the A-League men's is really important. And I think as we lead into what's a very important year in 2023 with the Women's World Cup coming to Australia, um, you know, it speaks volumes for, and, you know, I know I talked to Nathan 
three, four times a week, maybe sometimes three, four times a day. But, um, you know, I know he's really strong on, from a cultural perspective, to create parity for the women and the women's game. So um, that's probably the most important thing that's actually happened over there. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know if people actually really notice this year, what we've done. I can tell you it's a bloody lot of work. You know, it has been a lot of work. And if you walked around there at certain times, it really is a construction site. Um, all the retail spaces, so all the, the, the bars and the outlets, completely gutted and all brand new through there. So why that's really important and the things I hope that you see is, A, a better quality of product. So that should just by natural attrition be lifted and the speed of service should also improve as well as a result because we've got the ability to do that now. Um, little things, stuff which, um, again, it may not seem like that's important, but moving the broadcast from where it was as you come through on Holden Street, that's now being shifted over to next to the family park. Um, you know, th there's a lot of those little things. And what it's really been focused on now in stage one is the stuff we don't need council approval for. So it's sort of taking like for like, things we can go through. Um, corporately, we've gutted a lot of areas, we've rebuilt that. Um, not important to some people, but for us it's really important to make sure that we adhere to all the things that FIFA want us to and also provide, a, you know, opportunities for the club because at the end of the day they've still got to be commercially viable. So we keep improving those things and, and hopefully returning a better quality of product for them. Stage two is what you're really going to notice and you'll actually notice it this year because the timeframes that we've got to deliver the stadium for 2023 we've just got to kick on with the work now. So unfortunately what that means is the eastern stand is completely out this year. No one will get in there. It's a construction zone. Um, you'll notice that we've chopped out a whole section up the top. There'll be a whole new function space going built there. The roof will go in. Um, all the pylons and the footings on the east are starting to all be dug and, and set. Um, there'll be some changes as people arrive this year because we lose gate 10. So Man Street, which is actually our biggest area that we can load people through. We've lost that. We've had to disperse that and we'll start communicating that in the next week or two so people get a better understanding of where to come through and where to access. But um, what it will mean is, again, we've started working with um, DIT, who own Manton Street. So they're, they're the government department that are responsible for Manton Street and the local council as well. Um, and shutting down the road in its entirety two, two hours before the game. So we can actually move all of you pretty safely down the road itself because the footpath's completely out now as you come down Manton Street. Um, that's gone because, again, we need that space to be able to lift and, and use it like a bit of a boneyard. So there's a lot of those little things that, yes, you'll notice a lot of stuff and there are some changes, but I can tell you the back end, the benefit of what you'll see as we come through the other side of it, um, you know, we, we will deliver, I believe, the the best viewing experience in the league. And, you know, I spoke to the boys on Tuesday about this. Um, 16,000 people in that stadium when it's full, and especially with all those upgrades, honestly, it'll feel like 40,000 people. It, it, it's going to be an amazing space to play in. Um, as we put the screens up, new lighting towers will go up. We'll put um, all new AV. So um, Nathan said to me, it's important we hear Jared. I said, "What? why? Why do we... Why do we need to spend that money to hear just Jared? Hear but, voice break. Uh, up, but, you know, he's been pushing really hard for that. But, again, just the audio, the audio experience will be a lot better. Um, you know, we're going to flip the gates. So, as you come through Holden Street, now through Gate 4, that will be completely demolished. Um, the plan is after the Women's World Cup, 
I hope Nathan doesn't mind me saying this, Adelaide United will actually take up residence in the stadium itself, which again is great for the club. We'll build a function, uh, like a function area down there on, on Holden Street for them. And that is where the current entry gates are. And we're actually going to move the entry gates over to gate five. So from a, from a flow perspective, that's going to be a lot better. So patrons will just flow straight through the stadium a lot better. Um, the hand scanners that we're actually using now that, that at times are a little bit frustrating, a bit glitchy, they'll be gone and we're going to start putting in um, all new fixed turnstiles. Again, it's just going to make it a lot quicker for people to come through and just a much better experience. Um, you'll see a lift going through where the broadcast used to be, so that's currently being constructed. Uh, and then little things that we needed to do for FIFA. And again, stuff which you may not appreciate as members, but it's really important to be able to deliver a world-class experience. So things like an event operations centre, again, for FIFA, that's really important. We've got to upgrade those things. Um, as I said, it may not feel important to some people, but it's really important to make sure that the experience for everyone, not just for one isolated group, but for everyone is an improved experience. And I think like on behalf of all the, the supporters and members here tonight, like it's a, it's a tough job that you've got, obviously, because it's a watch this space. But from what you're just saying, then I'm sure you can all agree. It's exciting to go that, that what is certainly on the way. And there's no one better to lead the team than Phil. Can you please give me a huge round of applause? Now, I've, we've given you a round of applause because I'm leading up to a, a question that I have to ask. <laughs> So when it comes to the venue moving into the season, uh, vaccine mandates, this uh, the discussion you have had yet or you're going through at the moment? Um, I think we're all talking about it in terms of be it um, league, be it um, venues, be it government agencies. That's a discussion that's seemed to be had um, by all of us. Um, Look, at the moment, there are some vaccine mandates in terms of who of my staff can deal with Nathan and Carl's staff on a game day. There's a little bit of that in place, again, to protect the integrity of the playing group and, and the workforce, um, and that's great. And we actually really embrace and enjoy the fact that we've got some some rules and a bit of rigour around that. We're, we're really good with that. Um, I believe that at some point along the line that there'll probably be a mandate potentially for vaccines. I don't know that for a fact. That's just me guessing. I'll be honest. I've got no insight into that. Um, I am off to SA Health next Tuesday. I've got a meeting with them. Um, the best thing I think that happened for us was the Premier coming out and actually outlaying his roadmap for what that actually meant for the state. I think that um, we've, we've managed COVID really well in this state. I think we've done a really good job of it. Um, I'm not going to lie, last season was really frustrating for us at times. It was hard. Um, hard to work within the confines of the restrictions. Um, and, you know, we, we're going into SA Health very much with the mindset that we played ball and we did the things last year that were asked of us and we believe that we did it um, not only to the best of our abilities, but they actually hold us up as a bit of a pinnacle of how well that we've done that. But we feel now that the time for that is to retract some of that is, is here. And we we want to see where we get back to be able to effectively offer patrons the opportunity to come to games and have standing, have seating that isn't allocated and not have to put masks on. So, um, again, look, some of that is... Uh, I wish it was my gift to give and be able to just say, hey, we're going to do that. And I think that the approach that we'll be taking with health is probably a bit more of a stronger tactic to going in there and saying that we believe that um, 
Otherwise, what, what, why are people getting vaccinated? Why are we doing these things? So we have to move to there and we have to move there quickly um, for the benefit of really first and foremost our partner being the club. And, you know, obviously we want to, because we want to deliver a much better experience for all of you, which uh, if we're being honest, it probably wasn't a wasn't the pinnacle of, of experiences last year, but we really are working hard to make sure that that's much improved this year. And we know that the arts, entertainment, hospitality are probably three of the most affected industries when it comes to COVID. So again, your team has been absolutely outstanding. So thank you very much. We're going to get you now to hand the baton or the microphone over to Vito. So please give Phil a huge round of applause and we welcome Vito Basile up here to the club. So I've got, I've got some uh, fun facts about Vito as we get to know him. The uh, FA Women's National Performance Manager where he attended two World Cups and the 2016 Summer Olympics. The Men's National Team's Manager, Assistant Team Manager and did attended two World Cups and the 2017 Confederations Cup, which is an achievement in itself. So let's get to know you, Vito. Tell us about your time in the national program. Uh, my time with the national teams spanned over 10 years uh, across the Socceroos and the Matildas and being able to work with the two pinnacle football teams in this country at the world's biggest football events, is uh, it was a privilege and an honour. And I, I recall distinctively that every match that we played where we stand arm in arm and sing the national anthem whether it was in front of 50,000 people or 20,000 people, they were money can't buy life experiences. Um, as a kid growing up watching Carl and Ross, you know, everyone has the, uh, the dream to play for the Socceroos and Matildas. I didn't, I couldn't play, not good enough. But the next best thing was to be uh, the team manager. To get the opportunity to work with Adelaide United, can you talk about, um I guess the process that led you to this moment, but also your impressions of the club, because I've, I've said this openly, I feel that the club's in the most healthy place it's been um, for so many years, and that's especially in the front office. So for you to have this opportunity, um, can you talk us through that? Yeah, for me, it was, um, it was a change in lifestyle, having two young children uh, traveling the globe constantly. It was difficult to be that father. And having two young girls that uh, at times can sort of veer off the right track, it was, it was the right time to step away from the national teams. And I've known Nathan for a number of years now with our time together at uh, Football SA and at Croydon back in the day that from afar, I always supported LA United. And it was always a, a team or a club organisation that I wanted to work with. And I think constantly I was in touch with Nathan saying, mate, get me a job, get me a job. And... Uh, luckily enough, it, it fell the way it did, that one door closed and another one opened. And coming to the club, we spoke about culture heavily tonight, but as a, as a new person coming into Adelaide United, by far and beyond, the culture is one of the best I've seen globally, uh, working with so many sporting teams, working under different coaches. And that's a testament to, to Nathan leading the, the office staff and also to Carl leading the football staff out of Playford that... It is safe, it is inclusive, it is welcoming, and it does feel like a family environment where you can have a laugh, but you could also be serious and focus on business. Let's talk about business. So the areas of improvement for the club, where do you see are our key growth areas? Yeah, from a, a football department perspective, and I've been having these conversations with Nathan since I commenced. For me, there's, in my mind, there's five key strategic pillars. One of them is performance and winning. So continuing with the, the success of the club over the years, winning tournaments, uh, winning cups, um, 
and, and breeding that through to our women's team. Uh, hopefully this year is the, the key year for them to break that drought in making the finals. Secondly, facilities. So facilities is a big one, um, having the opportunity to, to travel the world and, and seeing what is out there. Australia just broadly, it lacks. And to be a benchmark team in this country that we need to look how we can enhance the facilities we have, but also grow the, the sub-sites, which leads into the next point, or the pillar is youth development. So how do we establish a, uh, a clearer youth development program across our men's, youth men's, but also our women's? Uh, the key for me in the women's space is a we'd, we conducted a performance gap at FFA last year and we identified that players aren't playing enough match minutes. So for us here in SA, can we look to implement a program that sits uh, above the NTC but below the A-League W um, and have those girls in a 12-month all-year-round professional training environment? So that, that step from the local football to the domestic football is a lot easier. Um, also focus on people and culture. So as, as we've been addressing today, the culture is a big one. It's about recruiting the right people, and I think we've got a good mixture of that, but it's also retaining the right people and how we go about uh, empowering those individuals to be the best they can be as humans, but also as footballers or administrators, as a CEO. Um, and then uh, lastly, the, the final one for me, uh, if I said five already, I've lost count. I think I've spoken too much. <laughs> you certainly haven't. I want to ask you one more question before we go into the member questions. As we are approaching January, the year's going very quickly and we've got the opportunity to sign some players. Can you please dispel or um, prove some theories and rumours correct? Were Berisha and Castro in the conversation of signing for Adelaide United? Because the names were thrown around. I just... I think it would be weird having Barisha playing for us, right? Because we love to hate him. We know what it was like when Marcos Flores went to victory. So, so Barisha and even though like Castro, he still can play. Were they ever in the conversation? This is where I delegate and handball to the uh, CEO. Well, I might, I might hand pass again. Uh, <laughs> if this comes back to me, I'm going to say, yeah, they were. Um, I'll say one wasn't, one maybe. Oh, Carl, you can't do that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, as far as I know, um, Rambo's still playing in Asia somewhere. Yeah. He's loving life over there, getting heaps of cash and not coming back to Australia. He's absolutely, he's, he's absolutely loving it. Uh, can you please give Vito a huge round of applause? Welcome, mate. Thank you very much. Okay, so... There's a, a cut. No, you got to stay. Vito, you got to stay up here, mate. You got to answer the tough questions. All right. If one goes to Phil, you can just handball it back to him. <laughs> so there, there's a, a lot of members who couldn't be here tonight, so they've sent through their questions. So we'll go through them. Um, this is from Ian from Ashford. Their question is: There's that is Ian here? <laughs> G'day, Ian. I mean, you could have saved this until when we throw it out there, but that's totally fine. <laughs> There's plenty of grassroots coaches in the women's game. Has the club thought of offering the chance for these coaches to attend training to learn from Adrian as a way of connecting further with grassroots? Yes, and it's, um, it's a good question because it's been somewhat of a priority. It's been put on the, the back burner a little bit with COVID. So we've had extremely strict regulations around what we can and can't do. Obviously, on match day with the, the men and women, you know, it's at a distance and selfies and all that haven't been allowed. 
Um, the same is applied uh, at training, and I think it probably will to a degree this year. But Ivan, as the in his time as head coach and also as um, uh, women's football director, was really passionate about creating pathways for female coaches. We sort of said the benchmark for us is to have a female women's coach. Um, I don't think it's something that we'll necessarily achieve in the short term, but then how do we create a pathway for these coaches to progress from you know, what is amateur in terms of the NPL to a, a fully professional environment. So um, pre-COVID, I mean, Ivan ran some sessions with C-licensed coaches, with Football SA's women's only C-licensed. Um, we've had a few mentor coaches out along the way. Maurice Bagnoletti came out for a season. Stella Rigon as a past player was out last year. We'll come back out this year. So it's definitely a priority for us. To do it more broadly is a little bit difficult at the moment, but I think in the next sort of six to 12 months, we'll probably be able to change that. Awesome. Uh, in your conversations with Phil, this is from Derek from Hove. Uh, with the upgrade to Cooper Stadium, why weren't fans not asked for their desired input in the design? Uh, a roof over the northern end and small increase in seating would have been desirable. Yeah, so the roof was uh, a priority for us as well on the north and south to the point that the drawings and plans are there. They're just not part of these works. So the primary reason for that was probably twofold, available funds from the state government through COVID, but they couldn't get the north and south roof on in time for the Women's World Cup. So that was one or the other in terms of um, there's two stages. They can do the, the, the east now, but the north and south were going to be um, too big of an issue. So that is something we'll lobby heavily for because that's sort of the finishing, the finishing um, piece of the puzzle in terms of the stadium. So um, the, the, the priority was also to satisfy FIFA, who are quite strict with what they want. So I think what we've got is a really good venue um, and it's basically there, ready to go to finish it off when we can get the north and south roof. Vito, I'm going to continue uh, Derek's question. Uh, Derek was wondering if the board and yourself are considering additional resources um, to get some players in January. Yeah, certainly working close with, with Carl and Nathan, we, we are looking to potentially sign players in the January window. Under no circumstances, we'll be pressured to do so. If the right player comes along and it's the, a key position that the team needs, we'll uh, go into those negotiations. But in the role now, since since I commenced, it's it's every day seeing footage of players being sent across us from various agents or just kids off the street wanting to, to have a crack. So um, I won't promise yes, but we, we are always looking. One of the challenges, sorry, just to, to jump in this year, was that the registration window actually shut on the 18th of October. So clubs aren't able to register players now. And with that, we had significant issues getting SAS in. It probably took five weeks just to get a flight, I think. So I think, um, to Vito's point, it'll be a priority for us. We're looking at it now as well to, to see what we need to do to bolster the squad. The January window opens thing on the 10th or 14th. So we're only six or seven weeks into the season um, where we'll potentially have the opportunity to bolster the squad. Carl, this is from Eugene from Henley Beach. Um, he wanted to know whether Eugene Galakovic has a tough decision week in, week out, choosing between James Delinov and Joe Gauci. Obviously, last season um, was, it sounds horrible saying a blessing in disguise, the injury, but obviously we have two fantastic goalkeepers that are going to be vying for a spot where one of them is going to be playing, the other one needs to be kept happy because he deserves to be playing too. How's Eugene going with that? Yeah, look, it's um, as you said, we're very fortunate that we've got two uh, young, exceptional goalkeepers and 
you know, the start of last season, James was the number one and then he got injured and then Joe um, came in and he then became the number one and then Joe got injured and then so James finished the season as number one and unfortunate Joe has, you know, only just returned to full training this week. So um, going into the season, James will start as our number one and, and Joe will have to um, wait his time and, and but what we've seen so far in training, Joe is um, pushing extremely hard and yeah, huge will have a very lot of um, sleepless nights making those decisions. Can I ask a, a question following on from that in regards to injury? Stefan, towards the back end of last season, it, it seemed to be at a point where he was like, just push through it or just get the surgery and deal with it. It got to a point where he got the surgery done. So how's he going in his recovery? Because we've seen Goody making his return slowly but surely, which is fantastic. And Stefan, what's he's going like? Yeah, as you said, Steph um, last season played, um, I think, 90% of the season with a broken leg. Um, we waited... Um, we gave it six weeks after the season to try and heal, and it didn't heal. So then he had to have an operation, which was a nasty operation, um, where they hammered a rod through his bone in from the bottom of his foot all the way up. Glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's slowly coming back. He will play in our trial game tomorrow night and should be available to play round one. I think there's a trial game tomorrow night that we're not talking about. Uh, Nathan, let's quickly move on. Um, this is one final question before we throw it out to the crowd. Uh, Robbie from Monopara wanted to know about the club financially. Post-COVID, obviously everyone was affected. We were lucky enough to have games at home, but um, we'd be lying if we said that the club wasn't affected in some way or another. So how's the club tracking? Yeah, good. Um, it's probably the strongest position we've been in in... Um recent years, I would suggest. The, the, but the biggest challenge through COVID was the uncertainty of the future, I think. We, at time, for, for a period there, didn't think we had any broadcast deal. We had no prospect of borders opening. We had the potential for empty stadiums. We had the potential for, for hubs with no revenues. What we've had at the back end of this year is obviously some optimism around COVID and, and getting people back into Coopers. Um, and I think that's helped us. Our membership's bounced back. We're not at where we were pre-COVID, but we're up on last year, which is good. And we hope that continues to grow in the next few weeks. I think what you should get this year is some certainty on the fixture. I'd be very surprised if, if it needs to change. And as I said earlier, I think it's one of the better ones we've had in recent memory. The other thing that's really helped is the broadcast deal, which is five years of, uh, of revenues and a five-year CBA, which, which mandates player wages um, or minimum sort of retainers for players for the next five years. So that's allowed us to plan beyond a week or a month. I mean, that was basically what it was in COVID. Everything was a month-to-month -month, uh, budget. So we're in a good position. Um, we need to bounce back um, in terms of some crowds. So I think we're at about 12,000, 12,500 capacity at um, the stadium this year. And I think with that fixture, I mean, our, our benchmark internally is to uh, get 10,000-plus for those first three. So... Hopefully some good crowds and, um, you know, we'll be better for it financially. Thank you very much. I'm going to throw it out to the audience now. So I'm going to try and walk out here with my microphone. Hopefully it doesn't feedback. Does anybody have any questions? They, oh, we've got a microphone. Ebony's got it. So what I'd love for you guys to do, because for the past couple of forums, we've just asked the question, but this might be the first time you've spoken to these three lovely gentlemen. So introduce yourself, where you're from, and then you can ask the question. Yeah. Mike from Myrtle Bank. Uh, member since the beginning. A uh, question about the salary cap. The salary cap this season is 2.5 million. 
clubs are expected to spend 90% of that salary cap, so what, 2.25 million. Um, outside the salary cap, we're entitled to two marquee players, and there's a new salary this season for a designated player, and another one next season. So three-part question, are we going to spend our salary cap? Who, if anybody, are our marquee players? And who, if anybody, is our designated player? Um, very well researched. We can maybe get a job in the football department. Um, uh, <laughs> um, sounds like you'd be a good negotiator as well with player wages. Um, so, so Ross misspoke on this the other week with the cap. So the cap is as you suggested in, in broad terms, but clubs spend significantly more than that um, when you start to look at loyalty players, homegrown players, scholarship players, and as you said, marquee. So we don't currently have uh, a marquee or a designated player. We actually haven't gone through the, the full process of the salary cap reporting um, uh, at this stage, but uh, they are they're somewhat of the marquee player in that traditional sense, and I get frustrated a little bit with that sort of sign a marquee, sign a marquee. There's actually no mandate around what is a marquee player in terms of stature. You know, um, it's, it's almost become, it's a little bit of a, it's a marquee in a media sense, but in a salary cap sense, it's more of an accounting function. So um, that adjustment's made when we need to, but we're spending more this year than we have in, in, uh, in, in, in um, gross terms relevant to the cap in you know, probably the last three or four years that, that I can remember. If that answers the, the question. So if you wanted to um, raise your hands, we'll be able to walk around with the microphone. Thank you very much for asking your question. Hi, it's Brian. A question for the, about the stadium. Are there any plans under the eastern side when it's completed to have a reserved area or will it stay purely general admission? No, I think we're looking at that at the moment. So we've been doing some modelling on that the last few weeks. It'll def I think we'll definitely shift to a reserve setup. We're the only stadium that I've ever been to, where 75% of it, including the best seats in the stadium, are GA. Um, we've probably been a little bit spoiled in that sense. So we're looking at that now in terms of then how do we actually structure membership. So our membership planning really hits, hits um, you know, full steam in January for next year. So once we have a full understanding of the stadium, what it looks like, we'll start to structure it up in terms of that east stand and potentially splitting it, but that'll be, they'll still be cheaper than the west, is how we're sort of looking at it at the moment. But um, there's a bit of work to be done on that. We'll probably announce it early in the new year. Thank you. Who's next? Now, what, what we might do is, as the next question's being asked, if someone wants to ask a question following that, put your hand up now because we'll get Ebony to bring the microphone around to you afterwards, okay? So we know where we're going. Uh, my question's to Nathan. I'm Roger from Largs Bay. Nathan, um, is there any plans for the APL to expand the A-League next season to 14 teams and, for, and into 23, into 16 teams? Uh, the short answer is I don't know. Um, so that isn't something that has been discussed at outer club level anyway. Um, I think the intent though is, so there's been a few questions come up this year around why do we play 26 games with 12 teams. One, you need to play a minimum of 26 to qualify for the Asian Champions League. So that will always stay the minimum. 
And I think the logical solution for me would be to get to 14 and you play everyone twice, home and away, and have 26 games. So I don't know when or if that will happen, but I think that's a logical next step when the time's right. Hey, guys. Uh, most of you probably know me, but Robbie from Red Army, Secretary. Uh, I thought I'd uh, break it up a little bit with something a bit more humorous. Obviously, we've had some players leave uh, the A-League due to other ambitions, most recently to uh, join the priesthood. Who would be the one Adelaide United player to leave for the most random job ever? Hey, Carl, good good luck. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it, um, what jobs our players have left for to be honest um, well joey champness left to be a rapper yeah, i'd say he... jason spagnola he sells more real estate in adelaide than anyone else that is a, that's actually a very good answer do we have any more from the floor about the yep. menu oh we do have the back thank you yeah i got one is there any noise about going to like promotion relegation with another div any noise in the background that we want Plenty to hear about a whole heap of noise about it. Um, I think, again, this is personal opinion because as an independent club, we're not charged with, you know, um, creating a, a football pyramid for, um, through the states. But I think that a second division will come long before promotion and relegation does. I think the you just have to look at the finances associated with. A country where you have to travel for every away game and the means for a second division or semi-professional um, club to achieve that I think is a long way off. That said, I think the second division has real merit and I, I uh, worked at Football Australia when uh, we rolled out the National Premier League final series, which was the, the minor premier from each state played off at the end of the year. I'd like to see that evolve into a maybe a summer league or something like that, where the elite of the elite across the states play each other. I think that would be really good for football. Um, COVID's probably pushed it back a little bit, but um, you know it might be something that they look at in the next couple of years. Um, the A League's on the verge of selling 30% stake for 130 million to an. Uh, I think it's an American investment firm. Um, how's that going? What's that mean for the league and, and for us? Um, I think, feel like I've said, I don't know to the last four questions. Um, but I don't... So, again, we don't have the full um, transparency on that. But I think what has become evident since the change... So, the decoupling from FA, who used to obviously run the A-League and the W-League as it was, to APL now running the A-League men and A-League women, is that it's become a fully fan-focused commercial uh, uh, enterprise. You know, Vita and I both having worked at Football Australia, it was difficult for Football Australia to be a parent to both national teams and member feds and also try to run a professional competition. I think what APL are doing, and there'll be another big announcement regarding some back-of-house infrastructure, well, not really back-of-house, but front-of-house infrastructure that our guys are working on with the league at the moment that'll be game-changing for for fans. I think you'll see you'll see some info on that either next week or the week after. Uh, they're investing heavily in making the product better and with that becomes commercial interest. So they're framing the league up much more in the American sense, um, that it's separate from the, the member association. And with that, it'll become much better commercialised. The more money into the, the game, 
you know, unfortunately that's the way it is. The, the money talks and the clubs and the league will be better with, with increased investment. So um, I'm not sure of the specifics of what that's um, looking like, but I think ultimately you'll start to see more of this with clubs and the league becoming much more sophisticated, particularly in the next 12 months. Uh, Mary from Edwardstown. Um, pro easily a question for the ownership group, I suppose, but again, maybe another rumour thing. Has the ownership group maybe thought about going into an investment of a pub or venue or something in Adelaide, like the old Castle Tavern set up, for fans to go and put money into the club that way? Would that ever be on the table again that you've heard of? Um, I, don't th I don't think that's something that's been looked at, not from a club perspective. Um, I'm very hesitant... Not a big fan. No, I'm, I'm not even a fan. I really don't like the idea of pokey revenue funding sporting clubs. Um, I think it's a problem in the eastern states where they become heavily reliant on it. Um, that said, clubs aren't exclusively, you know, licensed venues aren't exclusively pokies. But no, that hasn't been something that um, I've been privy to any discussions on. Yeah, just a question on um, membership numbers and um, just general attendances and for the club, um, is the club doing anything, have they got a specific strategy in place that perhaps complements what the APL is trying to do as well? Uh, I know we've got a new TV deal which is going to increase the profile of the game and we're hoping that translates to more support for the game um, and hopefully more membership longer term. But um, And I know the APL have also got a digital hub that they're planning on launching pretty soon before the season. But do we also have a strategy for ourselves that's specific to the state in trying to get more members um, to the club and, and ultimately um, long-term fans. Yeah, there's a well. I won't go into specific detail of sort of what we do um, day to day, but there's a few elements to it. The the um, the match day experience is something that's lacking. So uh, there's no no um, coincidence that our f attendance numbers have dropped off since uh, Adelaide Oval. Um, we obviously, we, we were able to fight against it for a couple of years when we had success, but our crowds are actually bigger in the two years prior to winning the A-League than they were in the championship year. And I think that's because, and it's somewhat anecdotal, but I think Westlakes, we were always better than Footy Park. You go to Adelaide Oval, you're in town, you're getting a beer pre and post, you're having dinner, you're staying there the night, whatever it might be, all of a sudden the Cooper Stadium experience isn't quite as... Uh, good as what it used to be. So that's been an issue for us, which, as Phil alluded to, will, will hopefully resolve itself. Um, the, the other element for us has been, uh, and this is something I harp on a lot about, is just pure match awareness. So I feel as though, you know, everyone in this room probably does, but just the general fans and most importantly registered players, coaches and officials in clubland don't know when we're playing. Like, I think that's a big problem um, and that's probably primarily based on having a product that's behind a paywall exclusively in terms of um, Fox. Uh, the subscriptions for Fox were, were going south at the same rate as the, or potentially a greater rate as, as A-League crowds. I think now getting back on free-to-air, um, we've had a media strategy focused on free-to-air news, so you'll see us on Channel 7, 9, 10, not every night, but near on every night of the week. It's been a real big push for us is we need to just get to the masses. We have, we're very good at digital, so our digital media and social media I think is the best in the A-League and pound for pound probably the best in any professional league in Australia. But that's one market. We also need to, to, to just get to that broader audience that might not be on social media, you know, and just to let them know when we're playing. So I think that's been 
that's been another issue. And another one that um, we've been focused on, and it's something that uh, uh, you know, it might not be obvious, but it's sort of affordability. Our ticket prices are basically the same as what they were five or six years ago. So we're conscious of that. There's some tweaks here and there that we need to do. Obviously, the expenses year on year go up, but we're conscious of making our product affordable. Um, it's a little bit different, I think, when we play 13 games, we 11 for an AFL. You compare the memberships now, it's looked more expensive, but actually our, our per game is, is cheaper. So there's a few elements there that if we get right, I think we'll start to hopefully see, particularly on the back of the stadium, some increased crowds coming back. If not this year, they'll definitely be bigger this year. But next year when we, when we get the full stadium. Um, the Adelaide United's been uh, very successful with the FFA Cup. Um, with the Women's World Cup coming up in Australia, is there any talk, Nathan, of a women's version of the FFA Cup? Uh, it was talked about pre-COVID. I haven't heard anything since. I think that's a natural progression, though, um, and I think it would be really good for local football. Um, I think the, the exposure that clubs have got through the men's um, FFA Cup uh, has been exceptional. We just have to see what Olympic did you know, they would have made some, some pocket money down there that game a few weeks ago. But the exposure for the club was really good national stage um, or free-to-air TV or 10 play. I would hope that it's the same for, for the women's game next. I think it would be really good for the NPL. We've spoken a lot about that for us to become better. We're, we're somewhat representative of the health of the clubs below us. And if the WNPL can continue to improve and provide better environments for players, we're going to be the benefactor of that because the majority of our squad is South Australian. So hopefully... Again, it's probably one of those post-COVID um, things once finances allow, but, but hopefully we see an FA Cup for the women in the near future. Uh, Mark Jones, the um, Red Army, when they are on song, do make a racket. And when they pack out the, the behind the Northern Goals, which is rare these days, sadly, uh, they do create great atmosphere. Is there any chance of getting a sponsorship or restructuring the Red Army to get young kids involved because it just doesn't seem that way. So, uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realise it was going to be put on the spot, but hey, happy to. We are trying to make us a bit more family friendly. Uh, we've gone through a lot of restructuring in the last few years. Um, we do want you a part of us. You are a part of us. We are a part of this family. Let's all get it together. All right. The main thing for us, we are looking at new memberships. There'll be some more information coming about uh, next couple of weeks. And maybe even if we can talk with the club, see if we can get a few of you in there. Um, the main thing for us is we are a part of this. We are there to support our team along. All right. And I know there's obviously been some stuff that's happened in the past. We appreciate that. And there's obviously that omen and I guess there's a bit of bad blood in the past. We're trying to push that aside. We do want to be there for you. We love, absolutely love when you respond to our chants, be a part of it. I mean, everyone here can probably nod at me right now. The moment you start hearing sha-la-la-la-la, all right, you know it's a special moment when that comes in. But what we also need you to understand, there have been times in the past where it's 45 degrees, no one wants to chant in that heat, all right? Especially us when it's like 3.30 in the afternoon. So there have been times where, yeah, we've been a little bit lacklustre and I can guarantee you in that temperature no one performs well, not even the players, all right? So be with us. 
all right? We are in a restructure. We want you to be a part of it. And if you want to know any more, come see us. We are more than approachable, all right? Uh, you've got the president here, Mary Weaver. Oh, sorry, Mary Cavey now. Um, and I, honestly, that's one thing I do want to address. Mary is the first female president of any active support in this country, and most possibly the world. So, you know, that's, that's something in itself that we are very proud of. And, yeah, as I said, we want you to be a part of it. Thank you. On that, I don't think we've got... We don't have... The, the earliest we kick off all year, 7.15, is that right? Maybe one seven forty five through Christmas. But, um, yeah, so there you go. But I'll, I'll speak to... Because, again, I was at FA during the, the days of the sort of active issues, primarily with Victory and Wanderers. But the, it's a completely different landscape now. We work really proactively with the Red Army. We want that bay full. It's much more family friendly. You know, there's the occasional swear word keeps into a, creeps into a chamber for the most part. Um, it's a really good environment. So um, we try to support them as best we can because it's in everyone's interest, I think, to have a full, a full northern end. So um, it's definitely a much healthier... I wouldn't say it wasn't a healthy environment before, but I think it's, a, it's becoming much more family friendly, which is good for everyone. Just quickly, um, last time we had one of these in person, if you remember last year, um, we were talking about a plan of a new stadium. We're talking about making a better stadium than the Wanderers. Since that's happened, we've gotten the World Cup, we've gotten an upgrade for Hindmarsh, and the state government's come out and committed to a new stadium if they get elected that omits football. And with our upgrade, I'm just wondering, has our position changed? Are we looking at a new stadium? I know our stadium's life has been extended, but are we looking at a new stadium in the future or just constantly upgrading Coopers? No, we're not looking at a new stadium. And I think the, um, the arena model we were obviously part of at one stage, but financially the cost to include football in a... In a was prohibitive um, that we even we acknowledged. Um, but what I, I'm a big, I mean, I've grown up here and um, spent a lot of time at Cooper Stadium. Like, as much as it does, does have shortcomings, as you said, this extends its life for me for another 10 years at least. And it doesn't just extend, it's not on life support, it actually will become a very, very good stadium. Like, to put in perspective, the two screens that are going in are 100 square metres each. Like, we're not putting in TVs from the good guys here. Like, it's going to be... <laughs> Uh, it's going to be big a shout out to the good guys yeah. if they want to sponsor us. By the way, we are we are grateful if you want to sponsor us going into it. The it, it they are pro it will be a proper stadium, but for me, for the foreseeable future, like I'm I'm you know really close to that place, and we shouldn't take for granted. And we use this analogy all the time: find another stadium in the country that has this, the color of its team seats. Doesn't exist. Like I think, be careful. We need to be careful that we don't. Uh, push that aside too easily. We're basically the only tenant. The only other tenant is local football. So it's exclusively ours. The in goals are too small to play league and union. Like, that's fantastic. That's one of the big reasons why we didn't want the, up, the capacity upgraded. To upgrade the capacity it would have resulted in it being uh, union and league compliant. They would have need to move the stands back. Like, we can't lose that. So I'm um, really parochial around the stadium because it's the home of football. One day it may become untenable, but I think what's happening now gives us, you know, I don't know what the actual lifespan, but you know, another a decade at, um, at Cooper's. 
Yeah, hey guys. Um, just got a question for Carl. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about individual players. Um, but what happened with um, Dom Costanzo? Because um, I think I think we all thought that he might have been one of the first father-sons to play for United. Um, you know, he's banging in goals in the NPL. Um, you know, he's one of the first play, uh, NPL players that United have picked up in quite a while. Yeah, so what happened with Dom? Yeah, Dom... Um when he came in last season, he was a fair way behind. Um, he worked extremely hard to get um, close to the level. Um, and he just couldn't quite get to that point. Um, you know, it was unfortunate. Um, he's a good kid. Um, and, you know, he needs to keep working hard um, and not give up. Um, you know, I'm sure if he keeps um, working hard, because he, he has some talent, um, but at times he just um, just had not enough um, good habits to force his way into the into the team last year. Is that one of is that one of your most challenging moments as a football coach though? Because obviously uh, with Ange you play with Ange, so it's, a, it's you're not just uh, doing what you're there to do as a job, but you've got to make sure you do it in a sensitive way as well because of a pre-existing relationship. Yeah, most definitely. It's um, like you said. It's a, it goes to all young players. We're not going to play a young player just because they're a young player. They have to earn that spot um, and deserve that spot to play. And if they if they don't do everything that we believe they need to do to make that make the team, they don't make the team. Um, Mark from Seaton, do you know how Stephen Maud would cope with Josh? Roughly. Yeah, Stefan's the captain um, and he gets on very well with all the players and he's the one that um, leads the change room and makes the, and sets all the rules and, and makes the change room the way it is. Um, hey guys, I'm Kat, I'm RA as well. Um, bit of a random one. With all the upgrades, does that mean the pricing of things are going to go up? So bar prices, are they going to go up? <laughs> it's, it's already expensive, so... No, they're not. So I think they're fixed, Phil. Yeah, I don't know about that. No, but the, the, there you go. So the, the food and beverage prices will stay the same. There you go. We've got time for uh, just a couple more, guys. Yep. Sorry. Uh, hi, Anthony. Um, here, I've been a member for about 10 years or so. I'm... I'm interested in the uh, relationship with our sister club in China or wherever it is. We don't hear very much about that, if it exists and what it's about and what it's delivering to our club and, you know, what's its future. Pete, do you want to maybe give an update on what's happening in China? Yeah. <laughs> yes, then... Uh, Finally, from the back of the of the room, uh, yeah, we uh, we started out five years ago with founding a club in China, and the reason for me is I've been uh, working in football for the last twenty years, and football is the true global game, as we all know, and connecting countries and finding new opportunities. That's that's for me uh, a big reason to to end up here in Australia as well. And obviously COVID has made things difficult. I haven't been in China 
uh, for two years, since two years and two days. So it's very difficult to, to run the club there. The club are doing well, uh, mid-table, stable. I would like to exchange knowledge to let coaches learn from each other, to let players uh, train with other teams to play international games. Well, the last two years, that's all been impossible, of course. But what we have seen is, for instance, our kit supplier, and uh, I think it's one of the best in the league with our designs, with, uh, with the pricing. That's coming through China. We've uh, got sponsorship from Haya and Hisense, which are two of the largest companies in Qingdao, where the club is. So these connections, they, they, are, they are there and they're developing. But obviously, if we could travel there regularly and, and exchange knowledge and exchange people, that would, that would go faster. But yeah, that, I think it'll be another six to 12 months until uh, traveling with China is back to normal. And that's not helped by the relationships. But also Flinders University, of course, have a, have a, a large group of Chinese students. So everything is connected together. And that's, uh, yeah, that plays an important part going forward. Unfortunately, not as much as we'd hoped, but that's, yeah something that we uh, we can't do anything about now. Thank you, Pete. Okay, so I want to ask one last question, and I'm glad you mentioned you can with the playing shirts because I think this is going to be the most controversial question of the night. There's three of you up on stage, Vito, Nathan, Carl. We have the red home playing shirt. We have the navy one, which is paying a little bit of love to the vineyards, McLaren Vale. Um, and we have the coral one, which is outstanding. And the great thing about UCAN is that, like previously in the past, we have been, uh, I think what happens with a lot of manufacturers, they go, here's the template to put your design for your playing shirt, which sometimes you can see the same model like with other clubs. So like for one year, if we had Macron on, Perth Glory had Macron, it looks quite similar. But now we get full control over it. So the, the team in the office are absolutely outstanding. What's your favourite playing shirt this season? Mine's, <coughs> Mine's always the red. Red, thank you. Come on, Cosy. Coral. Coral, yes. Vito. Blue. <laughs> well, you guys have been um, extremely honest tonight. We are so grateful. Before you go, um, I'm just checking my phone because we, we have the winner of the Lucky Door Prize. So that is there. Um, Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for being here. The winner of the signed shirt is Mark Jones. So congratulations, you win that. Well done, Mark. Uh, to Phil King, Vito, Nathan and Carl, thank you for your honesty and your transparency leading into a new season. We've got an FFA Cup campaign that we want to continue marching on for. And the season's here before we know it, which we're very excited. And for you guys, the members the lifeline of this football club. Thank you for being here and asking so many questions as well. It is just the beginning and hopefully you can feel this genuine connection so you can ask questions at any time. But we're starting a brand new season and it's great to do it here tonight at the Joiners. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. The cash bar's open for another 30 minutes, so make the most of it. <laughs>